Listen, before we turn to Genesis chapter 44, which you can do while you're sitting down, I was thinking about the sermon this morning a little bit. Uh, how many of you were here for the sermon this morning? All right. Are you allowed to do do-overs? How many of you have taught the Word and ever wanted to do a do-over a little bit? I don't want to do a whole do-over because I was very happy enough with, with, with the passage and all. It's not an easy passage. Really not an easy passage. One of the big challenges of that passage is God's dealing with David in a merciful way despite the fact that he violated the law of Moses in eating those 12 loaves of the showbread. So how do you handle that passage without reinforcing or developing in the hearts of people that disobedience to God is no big deal or it's allowed under certain circumstances? That's not what it teaches. And I got kind of what I felt was a pretty good uh, illustration of it uh, this afternoon, which is the story of my life, by the way, on, on things. But it's kind of like this in terms of clarity, because that can really raise some questions. What do you mean about all that thing? Let's say you've got a woman in her 40s, and she comes to know the Lord, and she comes out of a really rough background. And, uh, and, and as she comes to know the Lord, she's known the Lord for two months. Just getting started, just beginning to grow in her relationship with the Lord. And in the, in the two months, her husband divorces her or begins the divorce. Uh, she is diagnosed with a serious illness. And her youngest son has just a week ago been put in juvenile hall. A lot of circumstances coming up against her. So overwhelming. So she sits down to talk with me about the things that are going on in her life. If she slips up and uses a couple of swear words in the course of explaining things to me, in the light of everything else that she's facing, and in the light of where she is in her walk with the Lord, I'm not going to stop everything that she's talking about and correct that issue. I'm going to let her keep talking spill everything out that she's wanted to say, encourage her in her walk with the Lord, but I'm going to extend mercy toward that even though it's wrong in light of the bigger picture. And that's what God was doing with, uh, with David. Now, if she does it two years later, now that's a different story, but it's a little different circumstance. Now that was helpful to me. I don't know if it was helpful to anybody else related to that. Yes, a gracious... Um, this is wonderful. Just see me after on that. Uh, could you, no, here, right now. Let me just take care of it. Anyway. Listen, I, I, I just do my best here. I, that was so good, I've got to have a glass of water here. But it clicks for me anyway. And uh, after all, it's all about me. Anyway, Genesis <laughs> chapter 44. You remember uh, here related to what we've got going on, the uh, brothers have uh, left uh, Canaan in order uh, under the direction and permission of their father to go to uh, uh, Egypt in order to get food for the family to continue to be sustained and survive. It's the second time they're going there for food and um, in, in kind of a heartbreaking situation uh, for Jacob, he has allowed his son Benjamin now to follow them uh, and, and into Egypt in order to get the food solely because that was a requirement for that man, who they refer to as that man, but uh, we know him as Joseph, will not give them any food unless they brought their uh, younger brother. And so here, um, uh, as they come into Egypt, they come before Joseph again a second time. He invites them to lunch. He uh, uh, allows them to be rejoined by Simeon, who has been imprisoned the whole time they were uh, eating their, uh, their food, their first uh, stash of, of, of food and all. And as he sits them down to a meal in his palace, he gives Benjamin a helping of food that is five times uh, the amount that he gave to the other brothers. And you know what? None of them blinked. None of them blinked. 
at the favoritism being showed to Benjamin. Twenty-two years earlier, because of the favoritism that Jacob was showing to Joseph, they wanted to kill Joseph and ultimately sold him into to slavery. So Jacob or Joseph is realizing these men have changed in the last uh, twenty-two years. And, and Joseph has two big things on his mind. This whole series of things that, that he's putting them through is not, you know, to uh, pay them back for the wrong that they did to him. He is testing them. He's putting them on trial. And there's two things that he is looking for in his brother's lives by putting them in, in difficult circumstances. And the first thing that he wants to see is their treatment of Benjamin. Do they treat him as an outcast? Do they treat him in the same way that they treated Joseph 22 years earlier? Or do they treat him as a member of the family, as one of the brothers? And the second thing that he's testing them on is their attitude toward uh, their father. So uh, this is what he's, he's uh, uh, doing, the kind of test that he's doing to see as he... Uh, puts them in the trial to see what, how, what their reaction is to things. So far, so good. Now, in chapter 44, he puts them to one final test to prove those two things related to their lives. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry. They've come for food now. Send them back with food. Give them not the normal portion. Give them as much as they can carry with those animals that they've come with. And put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. So return the money again. And then he said, also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So this silver cup we're going to see in just a few verses was known, is going to be referred to as a cup of divination. Uh, the higher officials kind of in Egypt in those days, but it wasn't just Egypt, it was in other parts of the world. They had all kinds of goofy ways to try and discover the will of God or the leading of God, the revelation of God. And uh, sometimes... Um, what some of the people would do is if they were going to conquer a city or something, they would uh, determine the will of God by cutting open a liver. And then they'd read the liver for do we attack now or later, right or left or what the kind of a deal. So they had these different ways. Now the cup thing is that the guy would take a cup, a cup made of some valuable material, silver such as this, and then you would fill it up with a, a liquid and then what you would do is you would pour oil on the top of that liquid or you might put some herbs or seeds on, on the top of it that produce some kind of a reaction on the water. It would produce a pattern, some kind of a thing, and then someone who knew what they were doing would swirl it around and then give you the will of God based upon what they're seeing there in the cup. I mean, as a kid... You'd look up at clouds, right? And look at them and say, well, doesn't that look like... And, but we wouldn't give significance to it. It was just a way to kill a summer afternoon. And uh, so this is the kind of thing that they did. That's the cup that's being put in the youngest uh, Benjamin's uh, uh, sack of grain. And so the steward did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. Now you've got to put yourself in the place of, of these uh, 11 brothers. They got Simeon stuck in Egypt until they come back with their brother Benjamin. They've got to come back to get the grain. The guy down there is just irrational, Dad. He's Nothing makes sense in terms of what he's doing. He thinks we're spies and he's looking for any excuse to mess with us on things and all. And, uh, and, and, but we gotta go down and get food or we're all gonna die. So they go down and do it. And then miracle of miracles, they are leaving Egypt. Their sacks are full of grain. All of the family is together. And uh, we are family, and they are headed back to Canaan now, and this is, this is better than they thought could, could happen. So they're very excited. Whew, we got away from that guy. Praise the Lord. All right. That's how they felt for the moment. When they had gone out of the city, they were not, uh, and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Now get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? 
Why did you steal this cup? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he practices divination? You've done evil in uh, so doing. And so he obeyed, he overtook them, and he spoke to the brothers with these same words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these things? You accuse us of being a thief. Far be it from us that your servants would do such a thing. You know better than to accuse us of that. We're honest men. We brought back to you the money from the land, uh, uh, from the land of Canaan, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks the first time. We've proven our honesty to you. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? And then, so confident of their innocence, of the innocence of every single one. We are to a man, men of character. They said, with whomever of your servants you find that cup, let him die. You go ahead and kill him. Capital crime. And then, and we also, the rest of us, will become my Lord's slaves. Wow. That's a pretty bold statement on, on things. But that's the confidence that they had. Now he says to them, he knows they're set up. He said, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom this cup is found shall be my slave and the rest of you will be blameless. I don't want any killing and having all of you. I just want to find the guilty person on this, this whole thing and, uh, and, and we'll hold him and the rest of you can, can clear out. And then each man speedily, they let down, they're going to prove their innocence, they let down his sack to the ground and each opened the sack. And so the steward, he searched, he began with the oldest with Reuben, begins to make his way through them from the oldest to the youngest in order for the tension to build. And he finally gets to Benjamin's sack and they have to be thinking, all right, see, I mean, if, if we didn't steal it, there's no way the kids stole it. And uh, so they get now to the youngest and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Ah! ah. Can you imagine... The emotion that, I mean, they must have felt, and there's an indication of it there in verse 13, when that cup was found in his sack, oh no, they tore their clothes. Now, clothes were expensive in those days. And, and to tear your clothes, that was a sign of mourning. In other words, the news that you just heard tore your heart in half. It's like somebody stabbed you in the, in, the, in the heart with a knife. And in order to communicate that, you couldn't verbalize it. You would just tear your clothes and you say, This news has torn my guts in half. It's torn my heart in half. That's the literal pain that they are feeling at, at this uh, moment. And each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Now something good happens here. Because the guy just said, Find the cup. With whoever, I'll take him. He's the servant. You guys can clear out. So they had a chance to say, Wow, too bad, Benjamin. I mean, I'm sorry you stole that cup and everything, but that's the way it goes. And uh, we're going to head back with the grain and all. They had a chance to do that. But again, they're changed men. And it's all for one and one for all. And they go back with him into the city. And so Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. They fell before him on the ground. Now, all 11 of them do that. God keeps that dream that he gave to, to Joseph, that, that keeps getting confirmed over and over in an account. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? You can't fool me. I can talk to God. Now, Without a doubt, Joseph did not practice divination in the way that the pagans did. Uh, number one, he wouldn't do it because of his relationship with God, but there was no need to do it. God communicated to him through dreams and, and legitimate means all the time. He certainly didn't have to resort to pagan means to communicate uh, to him. But this is part of his, his bluff that he's uh, bringing forth. And then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves. We're all slaves, both we and he, also with whom the cup was found. Gentlemen, you just passed the test. You would not 
abandoned this other brother, Benjamin, the full-blooded brother of Joseph, when you had the chance. We, we give all of our lives into, your, into servitude to you and because we will not separate ourselves from this brother. Beautiful, beautiful. Just what Joseph was looking for. And Joseph said to them, Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he'll be my slave. As for you, go in peace to your father. Now, as if they could go in peace to their father without Benjamin. But he's putting them to the test. I mean, he is encouraging them. He's testing them. He's giving them every way to back out of this thing. His permission to go in peace. And they don't do it. And now Judah rises up now and he gives one of the most uh, beautiful intercessions in, in literally all of the Bible. He came near to Joseph and he said, Oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing and do not let your anger burn against your servant for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, and he's going to recap the history, and you said to us, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, who is young, his brother is dead, and we alone are left of his mother's children and his father, uh, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. And then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Anything happens to this boy, it will be the death of his dad. But you said to your servants, Unless your younger, youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. And so it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father then said, Go back and buy us a little food. But we said, We cannot go down if our youngest brother... Uh, uh, we cannot go down if our youngest brother... But we said... All right, it's very important. But we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. And then your servant, my father, my father said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. Now, remember, Joseph is looking now to see what their attitude is toward their father. You know... The, 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 your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons from Rachel. That was the love of his life. And one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. Boom. Something big happens inside of Joseph when he hears that. Joseph might be wondering how he could disappear for 22 years and dad never came to try and find me. Why did nobody come to try and find me for 22 years? What would keep my father from doing that? And now he hears that his father did not attempt to find him because his father was under the wrong impression that he was dead. So first time, some very important questions are being answered in, in Joseph's life. He's been torn to pieces. I've not seen him since. But if you take this one, Benjamin, also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. And what Judah is saying to, to Joseph or to this man as he, as he knows him, he is saying, if we go back without this, without this boy, this, our father will not be able to withstand the blow. It will be the death of him, and you'll, you'll be involved in, in, in that death. And now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. And your servants, and so your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant 
became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please, let your servant, Judah speaking of himself, let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. Let the lad go with his brothers For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? It'll kill my dad. And and he lays the case out. Let me stay. My staying here will not kill my father. His staying here will kill my father. And no hint of jealousy. No hint of of wanting to take retribution or being threatened by this in any way. And I mean, Joseph now, he has put out his final test, and these guys have passed it. I mean, with with flying colors, uh, as as they say. And and so that's the beautiful intercession that that he lays out uh, to them there. Benjamin isn't being viewed any differently uh, than any of the other brothers. In fact, he's being viewed as, as more special than the other brothers to the Father, but with no, no jealousy or threat. This is just goes it's more than Joseph can handle now. Everything that he wanted to be true has, has come true. So chapter 45, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. He starts to lose it. He starts to lose control of himself emotionally in that situation. For 22 years, a lot happens. I mean, God has worked it all together for good, and uh, he understands all of it in the light of what God was doing. What they did to him was wrong and all, but he lived a lot of things, he heard a lot of things, he felt a lot of things for 22 years. And, and he hoped a lot of things, dreamed a lot of things. Now it all comes together and, and, and 22 years of history just boom, comes on him emotionally here. He's losing control of himself. He realizes at this point that he's going to reveal himself to his brothers, but he wants to do it privately. So he cried out to all of the servants, Egyptians that were in the room, make everyone go out from me. And uh, so he's still speaking in Egyptian at this point and so they all obey him of course until no one stood with Joseph while he made himself known to his brothers and he wept aloud and the Egyptians uh, and the house of Pharaoh heard it so he orders everyone out he's left alone with these men in there and he begins to sob and to weep Uh, men don't weep very often a lot of them don't And most men don't weep in this way, uh, maybe but once or twice in their whole life, maybe never. So he begins to just sob convulsively in in this situation before he can even get a word out to them. And they got to be looking at him. They don't know he's Joseph yet. And they've got to be thinking, this guy is melting down before our very eyes. What's going on here? And, and then we're told, Joseph said to his brothers, and I think it's the first time he speaks Hebrew, he's been speaking through an interpreter all the way up till now, he speaks to his brothers in Hebrew and he says, I am Joseph, does my father still live? A bomb went off in that room. Because even in their minds... I mean, as they, as they spoke earlier, in a couple of chapters earlier, they thought, surely Joseph is dead in slavery already. Nobody could survive Egyptian slavery, not going in on the level that he would without God's favor and for 22 years. He's dead. He's gone. And then now he speaks this to him, and, and that I am Joseph. Does my father still live? Now, they just told him, in the last chapter, that his father is all still alive, and so he knows that, but he wants to be reassured of the fact that there's a possibility for him to see his father once again. Father that he loved, the father that loved uh, him after so many years, he's kind of like, tell me it's true that he's still alive and there's still a possibility for me to see him again. Now you notice in verse 3, that they are so stunned, 
They can't talk. But his brothers could not answer him. I mean, it's just like uh, so stunning. They couldn't answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. They couldn't speak. Can you imagine what they were feeling? As they're, they're trying to wrap their minds around, I think, all the way back to what they did with Joseph 22 years ago. And then what this Egyptian has been doing to them for the last two years. And then now that this is the same person and, and the whole deal, it'd be kind of like, you know, just, somebody wake me up. I'm having this terrible, terrible dream that our younger brother Joseph that we sold into slavery hasn't died, but he's become the most second most powerful man in the whole world. Tell me I'm crazy. You're not crazy. It's the truth. And he's, he's standing right in, in, in front of you. So, and I think there might even be an element of fear in all of this because now they look at it and say, all right, he's revealed himself to us, but is he still angry? And is, are our lives uh, in, in danger? And now we know that they're safe. We know Joseph has processed his life in the light of God, his promises, God's greater plan. He's counted the cost of all those things. They don't know that Joseph is a man who's walking close with God. And Joseph, a very sensitive man, and, and he recognizes what's going on with him. In verse 4, he said to his brothers, please come near to me. I'm not a danger to you. And he, he, invites, he, he invites them to do what they would never do on their own. And, and that's the person that's been sinned against often has to give that kind of an invitation because the other group isn't, isn't going to assume it. Please come near to me. And so they came near and then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. That means that's really got to be Joseph because he knows facts that only the rest of us know in all of the world. That he didn't die at the hands of a wild animal, but that he was sold by us as a slave into uh, Egypt. And, and so uh, now let's say... Uh, this is this is for sure. And then he says, "Now, but now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me." Now this is this is a remarkable man, and he's been this way all along. He is more concerned about the pain that they might be feeling, the sense of condemnation and guilt and fear and. All these things at this moment in, in, in their life rather than what he's experienced for 22 years and, and he doesn't want them unnecessarily pain. He's trying to comfort them in all of this. And then as he kind of extends this uh, grace to them, and, and, and I think that in essence what Joseph is kind of saying to them, listen, if you want to bless my heart, if you want to do something for me right now, Please don't hold your past against yourself. I want this to be a joyous time now in our lives. There might be somebody you need to say that to tonight. But, but that's what he speaks to them. Tremendous grace. Where does that grace come from? Where does that grace come from? I, I think that when a person looks in life and they've been sinned against in the way that Joseph has been sinned against, and all they do is see the sin, see what man has uh, done against them, but they fail to look at it in the light of God and what God brought out of even the bad and even the wrong. That person's almost always going to slip into bitterness. But Joseph does not slip into bitterness because he is processed the 22 years, not between him and these people, first of all, but between him and God. He has seen, just like, and we know all things, Romans 8:28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who are the called, uh, those who love God and are the called according to His purposes. Those of us who, who love and, and know the Lord. It doesn't say that all things are good. Or that all that people do to us is good. It tells us that God is so strong and so great and so almighty that He can take anything and work it together for good in our lives to make us more like Christ. Which is what the next verse in Romans 8.28 then into verse 29 talks about. Joseph has processed this whole thing between him and God. 
He sees what they did. It was wrong. But he sees the bigger picture that only God can reveal to us, and that is how God was working it together for good. And you notice the first two words that he proceeds from, and he says, for God. And in, at least in your mind, circle that for God. Here's the big picture, gentlemen. You did this to me, but the big picture is this. For God sent me before you to preserve life. What it looked like in the physical is you sold me for 20 shekels of silver into Egypt just to get rid of me and hope that I'd die and get me out of the family. This is what God was doing. God was sending me into Egypt ahead of you in order to preserve life. And for these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five more years in this famine where there's going to be neither plowing uh, nor harvesting. And then notice the first two words of verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph realizes, again in the big picture, that uh, this uh, great famine was coming into the world and, uh, and all, how was God going to protect this bloodline of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through whom the Messiah was going to come into the world and, and all, uh, how, how was he going to protect them from starving to death like everyone else if, if there hadn't been a, a pre- preservation during the famine and all, God sent him to not only help the whole world, but to save his family and God's plan of salvation. And so now, it was not you who sent me here. You think it's all about you and what you did. In one sense it is, but that's not why I ended up here. Then notice the next two words. But God, verse 5, for God, verse 7, and God, verse 8, but God. He is processing All of this tragedy in the light of God. Yeah, he's been through all of it. He recognizes all that's been done to him. But he's taken the time now to take it to God and say, What are you doing in the middle of all this? What what are you bringing out of my life that allows this kind of a situation? What's happening? Help me to see it in the light of what you're doing. And he was able to, to do that. And so... Now, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. God sent me here. He's given me this position. When he talks about being a father of Pharaoh, it means that God had given him such uh, prestige and such a place of stature in, in the household of of Pharaoh that it was like a role reversal. Here's this young man talking to this older Pharaoh and, it, and Pharaoh would listen to him in the way that his son would listen to a father. That's the kind of favor Joseph is saying that God has given me in this environment. Now hurry up, gives him instructions now, hurry up and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, <laughs> here's another bomb, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, which was uh, the delta region of the Nile in uh, in Egypt. Very, very uh, fertile land, good for grazing, that kind of thing. And uh, so if... Jacob heard, wow, we're going to go down into you know, Egypt and maybe die in the Sinai or something like that. No, it, we're going to bring you into Goshen. You'll be separated from the paganism of Egypt. You'll get to continue your pastoral life and life as shepherds and all of that kind of thing. And you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. And there I will provide for you lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that this is in my mouth that speaks to you. And so you shall tell my father of all the glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry, heavy on the hurry, and bring my father down here. And uh, so he's, the revelation has been made, and now he wants to see his, his father just as soon uh, as, he, as, po- as he possibly can. wants that family to be restored. And then, having given them the instructions before they leave, 
He fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Very, very emotional scene. And then, not just was he gracious in his dealing with Benjamin. This is a very special man, this Joseph. But moreover, he kissed all of his brothers, and then he wept over them, and after that, his brothers talked with him. And they talked about what's been going on the last 22 years. He loved all of them, cared about all of them. Now the report of all this commotion was, uh, uh, of it was heard in Pharaoh's house. The news spread throughout all of Pharaoh's household and saying, Joseph's brothers have come. I mean, nobody knew about his family and all these kinds of things, or they didn't pay any attention to it. And so it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. His brothers have come. His family has come. They're so excited about that because of their love and appreciation for Joseph. What Joseph had done for Egypt, what Joseph had done for Pharaoh, for his household and all. I mean, Joseph was like gold in, in Egypt, a good son, and uh, had represented the family and the Lord well. They were so excited for him. And, J- and Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. And I'll give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat of the fat uh, of the land. And I'm going to bless you. You have blessed people in a way that you can't even know through your son. I'm going to make sure you're blessed and that you're taken uh, uh, care of. And now you are commanded, do this, take carts out of the land of Egypt for you and your little ones and your wives, and bring your father and come. He sends carts for the transportation. We don't want you walking. We don't want it taking any longer than it has to. And also, do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all of the land of Egypt is yours. Don't waste your time packing. What you've got is junk compared to what we've got here. You, anything you want once you get to Egypt, uh, you know, you can have that. The big thing is get here. We want you as, here as, as quickly as, as you can get here. And then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. And he gave uh, to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. Uh, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And so he's blessing them with kind of the treasures of Egypt a little bit. To have a change of clothes in those days is a big deal. That was a big deal. Now, when I was a boy, you didn't have all these discount places and outlet malls and all this stuff. I mean, it's amazing. Just a sheer selection. There were Levi's, and then there were Levi's. There were some Lee jeans, too. But, I mean, there wasn't that kind of selection and those kinds of things. And I remember as a kid, to get a new pair of Levi's, you know, to save up the eight bucks or whatever they were, and you're going to date yourself on the thing, might have been a buck fifty. I don't know, just kidding. But I mean, to get, I mean, it was a big deal. And that, so it was a big deal to get clothes. And then five uh, uh, changes of clothes and all. It's really quite a blessing to them. And he sent to his father these things. So he gave them gifts. And then here's a little something for dad. Ten donkeys loaded with the goods of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. And so he sends him all of these gifts. And one of the reasons he sends them these, all these donkeys laden with gifts is in order to bolster Jacob's faith, his father's faith. He knows that the boys are going to show up on the scene and say, Joseph's alive and he's the second most powerful man in the whole world. Come here, why I oughta. He's going to, I mean, is he, what are, you, are you making fun of me or what are you doing here? Come out, look! We've got carts and wagons loaded with, do you think, what do you think we did out there? I mean, played the lottery and won all this stuff here and all. This is, you know, so here's the evidence consistent with our story. And Joseph would end up uh, needing that, that proof. And so he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he came to them, and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Gentlemen, listen, when you leave, I know... 
You're going to start to relive 22 years ago. You're going to think about all I've been through. You're going to fall into guilt. You're going to have a danger of falling into condemnation. You're going to start fighting with one another over how come you didn't and why did you and I didn't say and who. Judah, what was 20 pieces of silver? I hope you're happy that you came up with that idea. At least I didn't kill him. You guys wanted to kill him. You know, and this whole thing for the three-week journey back into, into Canaan. And he says, listen, don't do that. There's an added uh, dimension to all of that because the brothers now also realize they're going to have to tell their dad the truth. And they're going to have to face the fact that they have caused their father to live under the wrong impression for 22 years that his favorite son was dead and died fulfilling his orders or his command. So they got a lot that they're running through through their minds at that time. Now, on Wednesday night at the kids' club, we had the law enforcement appreciation night and, and everything and, and the deal. Just to give you an idea of the caliber of the kids and the things. There's this young, young girl, probably uh, somewhere between 8 and 12, right in there. I'm just terrible with age on things. Um, so she comes up to me with her dad. And she may be sitting out in that room over there if she's under the 12 thing. She's, and her dad said, she's got a question for you. And, and the question that she had was a good one. She said, how come when Joseph, in essence, she asked, how come when Joseph became that powerful man, he didn't go and get his family on his own? Uh, now, there may be uh, multiple answers related to that. He may have had divine direction not to do that and spoil the plan. But remember, in all of this, Joseph is a servant. He is a servant. He is a very powerful servant in Egypt. But he is a servant. And he moves from being a slave to now becoming a part of Pharaoh's, how, uh, it, 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 part of Pharaoh's government and all of this. And he has a tremendous responsibility to prepare for seven years for a famine that is coming and then seven more years of the distribution of the grain. There is no way Pharaoh is going to release him now to go on some number of months or years journey to find his family. And apparently Joseph is okay with that. But he, he's a servant. He doesn't have to just have the freedom to say, by the way, I'm out of here, did a good thing for you, and now I'm going to go find my family. So he allows and sends his, his, uh, his brothers now to go deliver that news to his father Jacob after Pharaoh extends those things to them. He, he, could, he couldn't just offer that in, in and of himself. He could say, think to himself, I've got a good shot of providing that for you, but that would take Pharaoh's approval. And, and so um, they departed. Don't, don't become troubled along the way, verse 25. And then they came uh, out of Egypt and they came to the land of Canaan to their, uh, Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt now this is like a a treadmill test for an older man without the treadmill test this is like a heart thing and Jacob's heart stood still Joseph's alive and, and he doesn't care about the whole Egypt thing, as you'll see in a moment. He doesn't care about his position, his money, his anything. I have another chance to see my son. And his heart stops because he did not believe them. That news is too good to believe. Tremendous faith, isn't it? Have you ever feel, <laughs> go through that a little bit? But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. He is alive. And then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. He doesn't say, look and say, All right, my son is alive. And isn't it amazing? He's the second most powerful man in the world. Or look at the wealth and the things that he has and look how he's going to take care of us. Jacob doesn't care anything about any of that. When you have a dad 
who thinks his son has been dead for 22 years and he has a chance to look that boy in the face one more time that's the most valuable thing in the whole world and he knew it I can't believe that I will get to see him again in in this this life let's rise up and and let's head off and uh, uh, not delay in any of this that's what that's what Joseph meant to Jacob and that's what their other sons had robbed him of for 22 years very quickly chapter 46 and so Joseph took his journey with all that he had and uh, he came to Beersheba uh, uh, which was uh, he is probably in Hebron at that time he's making his way now toward Egypt he stops in Beersheba which is on the way to Egypt Beersheba was a place where God had met with his grandfather Abraham his father Isaac and given them revelation now God is going to meet with him there in Beersheba and he offers sacrifices to the Lord uh, to the God of his father Isaac now Jacob has a, a couple things on his mind as badly as he wants to see his son Joseph he does not want to do it outside of the will of God he wants God's permission to go down there and one of the great concerns that Jacob had to have concerning his family going into Egypt because God is going to address them in just a moment is Will we be safe down there as a family, or will we go down there and get slaughtered? Jacob is concerned about God's call upon that family, plan of salvation for the whole world. And, and the second thing that he's concerned about is he is concerned that this family will go down into Egypt and we will be absorbed by the Egyptians. We will become absorbed by the Gentile nations. We will lose our bloodline distinctives and will throw away the plan of God. So he's got a couple of things he's really concerned about what God wants to do through this family. Even more concerned about that than even seeing Joseph face to face. Which speaks to his maturity at this point uh, in his life also. He needs to hear from God. God got the invitation from Pharaoh, even have the invitation from my son. As much as I respect them both, they are not God. I must hear from you in all of this. And then God spoke to Israel in the visions in the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and called him by name. You know the Lord knows your name. Great. Very personal. And Jacob said, here I am. And the idea is, you know, I'm ready to obey you. I'm at your service. And so the Lord said, I am God the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt. Obviously he was fearing to go, go down there. Don't be afraid to go down there. This is what I'm up to, uh, Jacob. For I will make of you a great nation there. Jacob, I'm going to take you down in there. Here's why all this is happening. Jacob, when he goes down into the, the land of Egypt, his family numbers a 70 people when God brings them out of Egypt uh, in 400 years and after he protects them within Egypt their uh, blood and ethnic identity and all they're going to come out of Egypt with 600,000 young men over the age of 20 you add the women you add the children they they probably numbering somewhere between two and three million so God is taking them into Egypt so they can go from being just a large family or clan into becoming a nation, that, a small nation, that is big enough then to conquer and occupy the land of promise, Canaan, Israel. So he reveals to them, this is what is going on here, things are okay. Gives them three promises, I will go down with you to Egypt. I'm, I'm going to be with you, and I'm heading out on your own. So as I just start hanging out in Canaan, I'll go down into Egypt, take care of you, and I will also bring you up again. You'll only be down there for a time. Remember, God had spoken that to Abraham, of the fact that in the history of his people, they would spend 400 years in a very difficult situation and, and then be returned to the land. That's exactly what's going to happen here. And God is saying, listen, Egypt's not the end of the story. I'll bring your, you, speaking of his people, out of Egypt into the land again, and Joseph will put his hand to your eyes. Jacob, you're going to die in, in Egypt. And on your deathbed, your son Joseph 
will be, he will attend to you in your final hours of your life. And when you die and someone needs to put your eyelids down, he will do that. And, and, and it's kind of just a beautiful uh, thing that the Lord is speaking to me. You can't make up for the 22 years in all ways that they've been separated. But while jo- Jacob is going to be down in Egypt for 17 years, and then God says, I'm going to make sure your son is there on your deathbed and in those final moments of your life, that's going to belong to you and, and to him. And then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, uh, the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And so they took their livestock and their goods which they had acquired in the land of Canaan and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, with all his descendants he brought uh, with him to Egypt. And so he goes now into Egypt, and in verses 8 through verse 25, there's a listing uh, of the names uh, of, of the men, uh, that were the head of, head of the f- different sections of the family that traveled down uh, with him. And uh, so in verse 8, now these are the names of the children of Israel, uh, Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt, Reuben, and so you have in, in, uh, Reuben's, uh, in, him and then his descendants, and verse 11 speaks of Levi, uh, and then in verse 12, the sons of Judah, and verse 13, the sons of Issachar, verse 14, the sons of Zebulun, and all of these uh, speak of the descendants. They were all descendants of Leah, uh, one of Jacob's wives, and there were 33 descendants total that went in. And then in uh, verses 16 through 18, you've got the descendants of Zilpha, who was also a concubine uh, of uh, of Jacob, the sons of Gad are listed, verse 16, 17, the sons of Asher, 18, the sons of Zilpah. Then he speaks of the 14 descendants of his wife, the love of his life, Rachel, in verses 19 through 22, uh, and to Joseph, verse 20, and the sons of Benjamin, verse 21. And then there are the seven descendants of Bilhah, uh, one of the other concubines of, of Jacob listed, verse 23 to 25, the sons of Dan, and then the sons of Naphtali. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, and she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body, besides Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all, and the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. So you've got the 66, and then when you add Jacob, and you add Joseph, and you add uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's two sons, then you have 70. And it's just a miracle of what God does. They go in just as a, a very large family into Egypt. And not even a terribly large family for those days, but large enough. And they're going to come out of Egypt as a uh, nation. And then he sent Judah. Uh, Jacob did. Judah's kind of taken over Reuben's role as kind of being the head of uh, the first son of choice for taking care of important things. He sent Judah before him to Joseph in order that Joseph might uh, uh, come out and greet him, show him the way to the land of Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph, when he hears that they're in the land, he made ready his chariot, went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel, and he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. I mean, these folks, they just clench right there and they're hugging one another and they're just not going to let go of each other. As they're hugging and they're weeping, this was something they never thought, either of them thought, would, they would ever experience in their life once again. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I've seen uh, your titles and all of your wealth and how powerful you've become. That <laughs> doesn't mean, doesn't matter to him. Now let me die. I, 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 life is good for me here, since I have seen your face, because you are still alive. 
That was the priceless thing to, to Jacob as it is really to any father. And then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan, they've come now to me, and the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. And so it shall be when Pharaoh calls on you and says, What is your occupation? Apparently that was one of the first things that uh, Pharaoh asked people was, What do you do for a living? Kind of like Americans. It's funny, that's kind of an offense to a lot of the rest of the world, certainly to the Middle Eastern world, because we think we know something about somebody by virtue of what they do for a living. They, in the, in the Middle East, for instance, they, uh, much of the Middle East, they, if you ask, you want to know something about them, they will tell you about their father, about their family. That's the most important thing to them. That's their most important identity in life. Of us, it's our occupation so often in, in the Western uh, world. And so he's going to ask you, what's your occupation? And you shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So that's how he sets things up. Joseph is being very wise here, and Jacob would have appreciated it. Egypt was a very wicked place in those days. I mean, what part of the world isn't? apart from the Lord. So, very, very immoral place. Just, just a bad place in a lot of ways. A lot of good things happening, a lot of bad things happening. The worst thing that could happen is that if Jacob brought his family, or Joseph brought his family down into Egypt, and then Pharaoh said to him, Hey, listen, you guys aren't Goshen Shmoshen. You're not living out there in anything. No descendant or, or uh, relative of Joseph is going to be out there in that hardship. You come and live in the palace too. That was to be avoided at all costs. Because that would have put them on the track to now being absorbed into Egyptian culture intermarrying and being lost among the Egyptians, as so many other groups had been. So Joseph says, tell them your shepherds, they hate shepherds. They like what shepherds do, but they don't want to hang around shepherds. They think they're better than everybody, period. They really think they're better than shepherds. Tell them your shepherds, because it's the truth, and they'll allow you to live in the land, but they'll send you as far away from them as you can, certainly away from the urban areas of Egypt, and there you can grow and prosper and maintain your family identity and bloodline. And that's precisely what happened. He sends them off to Goshen, and they are left largely unbothered uh, for a time as they grow, and they never ever were assimilated into the Egyptian culture. And, and so it tells us that Jacob, Joseph is looking, wants to take care of his family, wants to make sure that they're fed and they survive through the plenty of Egypt, but not at the expense of being absorbed and God's plan for their lineage being lost in human history. So, again, pretty sharp people that are involved. Joseph is a really, really special guy. You like happy endings? I like happy endings. And uh, the Bible teaches that because of the but God and God, you know, kind of progression in, in all of our lives, there's, there's a happy ending to everything. It's just a matter of living long enough to see that happy ending, sometimes not in this life, sometimes in the life to come. But here in this case, we get to see it before our own eyes. Let's have the worship team come forward and, and perhaps lead us in a couple of worship songs before we close this evening. And uh, it's a good, lots, lots to process, but for sure, the ability just to take what Joseph did and uh, all the wrong that was done to him. 
and uh, to look at it and say, listen, I know all that. I could tell you one way and from this side. I could tell you the stories and the whole thing and all. And it's all true and it was all wrong and they shouldn't have done it. But I also have lived long enough to see how God worked an evil thing for good. I see His fingerprints too. I see what He was up to. Not necessarily for my ease or my blessing, but for the sake of His work in the world. And then now we're on our way to processing the unfairness and the sin of life uh, in, in this life. Mike, would you 